0: Hello, everybody. Happy race day and welcome into episode 127 of Jake's Take. I am Jake Heller. Please be joining you guys once again. Figured I'd do a quick podcast before today's race at Atlanta Motor Speedway, three o'clock Eastern Time on Fox. So much has been going on over the past week or so. William Byron, back-to-back victories for the first time in his career, winning at Las Vegas Motor Speedway two weeks ago, and Phoenix Raceway this past Sunday, the fifth and sixth victories of his career. Keeping it in the Hendrick Motorsports family, Josh Berry, just his second race, filling in for Chase Elliott in the nine car, first top ten finish of his career this past Sunday at Phoenix Raceway in 10th. So you figured what's the bigger storyline? Is it William Byron? Is it Josh Berry? Is it Alex Bowman being the championship leader for the first time in his career? Now, because Alex Bowman being the championship leader for the first time in his career after finishing ninth at his home track on Sunday at Phoenix Raceway, that was lived for not even 72 hours because we have had some massive penalties come down in the NASCAR Cup Series over the past week or so. and this all started... Not this past Friday, but the Friday before that. So Friday, March 10th at Phoenix Raceway, a rare 50-minute practice session for the NASCAR Cup Series on a Friday in light of the recent aero package that NASCAR has come up with for the Cup Series as far as the short tracks and the road courses. I mean, Phoenix is a one mile, but it's a flat track. So what NASCAR did in order to make the racing better at their smaller tracks and the road courses, they cut the rear spoilers from four inches to two. They cut the diffuser strikes from, out, from underneath the car and also the engine as well. And Bob Pachris from Fox Sports figured that this would cut the downforce down by about 30% or so. So, and I mean, it still remains to be seen whether or not that was a good race last Sunday at Phoenix, me personally, as happy as I was for William Byron, I felt like the race itself was less than desirable, you know, Chevrolet right now just seems like they're in a league of their own speed wise, especially Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, aside from Kevin Harvick, Ford, and Stewart Haas Racing, it was such a remarkable job what Kevin was able to do there towards the end of the race, how he hunted Kyle Larson down the pole sitter, and also Kyle had led the most laps on the day with 201, and it seemed like as long as that race went green, it seemed like the faster Kevin Harvick got and the more speed Kyle Larson and William Byron would give up. And it looked like, you know, when when Kevin got the lead from Kyle Larson with about 30 or so laps to go and how he was able to check out on the field, it looked like Kevin Harvick in his final season was going to get his 10th win at Phoenix Raceway until the caution flag came out when Harrison Burton, ironically a KHI client, when he spun as he was going across the start finish line, obviously blew a tire, all the debris that came from the car, Harrison finished 35th. And on the last pit stop, Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers, they decided to go with four tires. The Hendrick duo of William Byron and Kyle Larson, they went with two. And that was ultimately the difference in the end. As William Byron won the race, Kyle Larson got shuffled back to fourth. Kevin Harvick was only able to get back up to fifth. But the biggest storyline throughout the weekend at Phoenix Raceway, aside from the speed that Hendrick Motorsports has shown, these first four races of the 2023 season, especially at Las Vegas Motor Speedway when William Byron won the race, Kyle Larson was second, and Alex Bowman was third. But Friday at Phoenix Raceway, NASCAR confiscated Louvers from all four Hendrick Motorsports cars and another Chevrolet car, the 31 of Justin Haley. Now, Anyone listening to this podcast, you're probably thinking, what are louvers? What exactly are they? And there are these little vents that are on the hoods of these NASCAR Cup Series next-gen cars. And basically, it's a way for air to go in and out and for the air to be distributed and whatnot. NASCAR confiscated these because they did not fit the requirements. And NASCAR has made it abundantly clear ever since they came out with the next-gen car in 2022 If you mess with any components, you modify any components on this race car whatsoever, the penalties will be harsh and severe. And it happened to Brad Keselowski last year. This particular race, the March race at Atlanta Motor Speedway, just minutes before the the race was getting ready to go green, all of a sudden you get word Brad Keselowski has to go to the back of the field for unapproved adjustments. And you're thinking unapproved adjustments, but NASCAR isn't saying what it's for. And Brad having to come from the back of the pack all the way up into the top five was running about fourth or so before he and Eric Almirola collided on pit road a little bit. And the best that Brad was able to get back up to was 12th at the end of the day. So you figured, okay, five races into his tenure with Rash Fenway Keslowski racing. I mean, aside from that day and the Daytona 500, you know, things really had not gone off to a good start for Brad. You know, he finished ninth in the 500, but then 27th at California, 23rd at phoenix and also struggled at las vegas as well i believe he was 24th but they're still not saying what was wrong with the car and then thursday morning nascar announces that brad keselowski has been docked 100 driver and owner points and his crew chief matt mccall would end up being suspended for the next four nascar cup series points races circuit of the americas richmond Martinsville and the Bristol Dirt Race. So throughout the weekend at Phoenix, when you heard about these louvers being confiscated from the Hendrick Motorsports cars, immediately you started thinking to yourself, what penalties, if any, are going to come down for Hendrick Motorsports? Because obviously, as we've talked about before, and the narrative that you hear all the time is that you know um, that Hendrick Motorsports is NASCAR's favorite team. They're just going to sweep this one under the rug. Because last year, I felt like when Brad Keselowski was docked the 100 driver and owner points and then went to appeal it and the appeal was upheld and he was still docked 100 points, it made such a difference in his season because when Brad Keselowski left Atlanta last year, he was 16th in points. So he had a really, really good shot to make the playoffs on points at at that particular moment in the season. I mean, obviously... The simplest thing to get into the playoffs in the NASCAR Cup Series, you just have to win. It's as simple as that. But when that 100-point penalty was handed down to Brad Keselowski last year, he fell from 16th to 35th in points. 35th. And that erased any chance he had of making the playoffs on points. And with the way that his season went, his first season as an owner-driver, the damage was done and Brad Keselowski would end up missing the playoffs for the first time since 2013. He was only able to get back up to 24th in points, which was his worst finish in the championship since he finished 25th in his rookie season back in 2010. So the consensus throughout the weekend at Phoenix was, well, if you docked Brad Keselowski, Matt McCall and Rash Fenway Keselowski racing, if you docked them, 100 driver and owner points for modifying the rear bumper panel to his six car last year at Atlanta Motor Speedway, then you got to do the same for Hendrick Motorsports. Also, at the same time, Denny Hamlin, you know, we often talk about how popular and how successful Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s podcast is, the Dale Jr. Download, but really how Dirty Mo Media has become really a podcast phenomenon when you think of it. When you have the Dale Jr. download, when you have Door Bumper Clear with T.J. Majors, Freddie Craft, and Brett Griffin, I mean, really, as controversial as that show could be, it's something else. They do not pull any punches whatsoever on Door Bumper Clear, and more often than not, you're going to get the juiciest rumors that are going on in the NASCAR garage, whether it's Cup, Xfinity, Trucks, wherever the case may be. So Denny Hamlin has been full-time in the Cup Series since 2006. And Denny, whether you like it or you hate it or you're right down the middle with it, Denny Hamlin is always going to have an opinion, whether it's a good one or a bad one. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Mike Davis, they figured, you know, Denny would be perfect to have his own podcast, especially not only being a driver, but also now being a car owner with Michael Jordan as they own the 23 of Bubba Wallace, and the 45 of Tyler Reddick. So on February 6th, the day after the Bush clash at the LA Coliseum, Denny Hamlin debuted his new podcast, Actions Detrimental. As we talked about before, you know, whenever a fine is given down to a driver or a crew chief or whatever the case may be, how when they announce the penalties, it's always Actions Detrimental in the stock car racing. We know... Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain, that these two have had beef with each other for close to a year now. And this all sort of started at the inaugural cup race at Gateway on June 5th, when Ross Chastain, when he knocked Denny Hamlin out of the way, Denny hit the wall and then had to ride around the rest of the day, 10 laps down in 33rd or so. And you saw how many times throughout that race that Denny tried to take Ross Chastain out. And then it carried over to where we're at today, Atlanta Motor Speedway, the July race, when Ross spun Denny Hamlin out late in the race. Ross went on to finish second. Denny, I have the results here from back in July. Ross finished second to Chase Elliott, while Denny Hamlin finished all the way down in 25th. Yeah, 25th. So... You know, at that point, you could tell that something was brewing. And when we all went up to Pocono Raceway two weeks later, how Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain, they were battling for the lead late in the race. They came off of turn one and onto the Long pond straightaway. Denny sort of squeezed him a little bit. Ross bounced off the wall and then right back down in the traffic right into Kevin Harvick. And Kevin hit him so hard, he said that he felt like he just about snapped his wrist in half. So... This has been brewing for quite some time. Last Sunday at Phoenix, Denny Hamlin qualified second to Kyle Larson, his golf buddy. But as we saw, aside from Kevin Harvick, we saw how a lot of the Fords and the Toyotas, how they didn't really have that same speed to keep up with the Hendrick Motorsports cars. And throughout the day, you know, Denny was running third and fourth, then about 5th, then about 6th, and, I mean, the day just got progressively worse for Denny Hamlin, Chris Gabehart, and the 11 team. And on that last pit stop, you know, Denny took two tires, and as soon as they went back to green, he realized that his car was plowing, it was tight, it just wouldn't turn. And Denny knew that the way Phoenix is, you know, with the dog leg, and you go five, six wide and whatnot, he knew that he was going to get eaten up by all these cars behind him that had four tires, And so Denny went off into the corner and he figured, I'm not going to make this corner. I'm going to turn straight because my car won't turn. If my day is going to get ruined, he saw Ross was alongside him. He's like, if my day is going to get ruined, I'm going to make sure his gets ruined too. And he drilled Ross Chastain right into the fence and saw all the cars that went by them, 15 cars or so. And even then, Denny Hamlin was trying to crash him afterwards and Listening to or watching NASCAR Race Hub, Larry McReynolds, Larry's son, Brandon, is actually Ross Chastain's spotter. And before Larry went to the studio on Monday, he called his son, Brandon, and he said, Brandon, he he said, what the hell happened yesterday between Ross and Denny? And Brandon said to him, he's like, Dad, I honestly have no idea. I'm I'm just as puzzled as you are. Denny's podcast comes out. On Mondays. And Denny admitted this. He said, I knew that my day was going to get ruined. I knew that I wasn't going to make the corner. And I figured if I'm not going to make this corner, I'm taking Ross with me. And as we've seen over the years, when you admit to doing something deliberately in NASCAR, there will be consequences. Dale Earnhardt Jr. himself I'll never forget the March race of 2004 at Bristol Motor Speedway. Had a phenomenal car that day, absolutely phenomenal. Started 18th, drove his way all the way up through the field. Right before halfway, he took the lead away from Rusty Wallace. He's checking out on the field. You're thinking that Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to get his first cup win at Bristol Motor Speedway. He comes in for the last stop of the day, takes on four tires, wins the race off the of pit road. As soon as they go back to green, all of a sudden the car won't turn. Kurt Busch passes him. All these cars go by him. And he radios to his uncle, Tony Uri Sr. And his cousin, Tony Uri Jr. who says, flat tire right front, I think. So Dale Jr. is getting passed by all these cars. He's at the end of the line. And Kurt Busch is not too far behind him to put him a lap down. Dale Jr. goes off in a turn one. Jerks the wheel to the right. Spins the car out. And all of a sudden, his spotter, Stevie Reeves, comes over the radio. Says, cautions out, cautions out. Dale Jr. gets going. He doesn't lose a lap to Kurt Busch. And immediately he comes over the radio and tells his uncle and his cousin, man, I never had to spin a car on purpose before. And ultimately, he was able to rally back to finish 11th that day. But he and Tony Urey Sr. were called to the NASCAR Cup service hauler after the race was over. And Dale Jr. has told the story from time and time again. You know, he and Tony Sr., they were just about ready to chew Mike Helton out. And Mike Helton sat the two of them down and said, sit down, shut up. This is my show. You let me talk. And I think in some ways Dale Earnhardt Jr. probably knew as he exited the hauler that day that there was going to be some sort of penalty that was going to come down. And subsequently, four days later, NASCAR fined Dale Earnhardt Jr. $10,000 They docked him 25 driver points and his stepmother, Teresa, 25 owner points, and he was placed on probation for two months. So Wednesday at exactly 12 noon, NASCAR announced that Denny Hamlin has been fined $50,000 and penalized 25 driver points. But I think the biggest thing that everybody was wondering about was, okay, what's going to happen with Hendrick Motorsports? What's going to happen with Colleague and Justin Haley? And when the penalties came down, that hammer was dropped. NASCAR, in really a record fine for one particular organization, a record fine altogether, NASCAR has penalized all four Hendrick Motorsports teams, 100 driver and owner points, all four Hendrick Motorsports crew chiefs, Greg Ives, Cliff Daniels, Rudy Fugel, Alan Gustafson, they were all fined $100,000 and suspended from the next four NASCAR Cup Series races. Today at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Circuit of the Americas next week, Richmond Raceway on April 2nd, and the Bristol Dirt Race on Easter Sunday. Also, Justin Haley, car owner Matt Colleague, They were also penalized 100 driver and owner points. And his crew chief, Trent Owens, was fined $100,000 and suspended from the next four NASCAR Cup Series races as well. Now, both teams, they will appeal. Denny Hamlin said that he's going to appeal. Good luck with that, Denny. But Hendrick Motorsports and Colleague, they said that they were going to appeal. Colleague actually asked for a deferral on Trent Owens' suspension, so he will be there today, and he could still serve as the crew chief until the appeal is heard. The thing is, with penalties these these huge as they are, I don't see any way that NASCAR is going to overturn the Hendrick Motorsports and Colleague Racing penalties. Trent Owens is going to have to sit out four races sooner or later. Hendrick Motorsports, on the other hand, they decided that this weekend that Blake Harris, Cliff Daniels, Rudy Fugel, Alan Gustafson, that they all will be sitting home this weekend. So Hendrick Motorsports, who has dominated this season so far with wins by William Byron at Las Vegas and Phoenix, all four are going to be without their crew chiefs today. And also, all all four Hendrick Motorsports teams, along with Justin Haley, but all four teams have been docked 10 playoff points. So, this is huge. And Hendrick Motorsports announced that their interim crew chiefs that they will have for the time being for these next four races, as I would imagine. They didn't ask for a deferral like Colleague did. So, Alex Bowman will be reuniting with Greg Ives, who was his crew chief from... 2018 to 2022. Ultimately, Greg decided at the end of last year that he wanted to step down from being a crew chief. He wanted to spend more time with his family and take on more roles at Hendrick Motorsports. He also worked with Alex in 2016 when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was injured. They did 10 races together. So Greg and Alex, they did have some success together. They won seven races together and they finished sixth in the championship back in 2020. So there definitely is some familiarity for Alex Bowman reuniting with Greg Ives for these four races. As far as how they did at Atlanta last year, in the March race, there was a bunch of cars that crashed on the last lap, and Alex Bowman was able to get a top 10 in 10th. When they went back there in July, Alex had a really, really fast car, just like all the Hendrick cars did. He was running in the top five a lot, and then in between turns three and four, about halfway through the race, all of a sudden his left rear tire blew out, and Alex ended up hitting the wall and crashing finishing 32nd, and ultimately, when you think of all those crashes that he had throughout June and July, you know, Nashville, Atlanta, New Hampshire, Indianapolis, it makes you wonder what happened later on in the year if that sort of lingered and brought on the concussion that he would suffer at Texas Motor Speedway. So Greg Ives and Alex Bowman reuniting for these next four races. They finished second at Circuit of the Americas last year to Ross Chastain, they won at Richmond in the spring of 2021. And they finished <clears throat> excuse me, they finished eighth in the spring race at Richmond last year. And the Bristol Dirt race last year, even though they spun out two or three times in the race, all the carnage at the end they finished sixth. Kyle Larson is reuniting with Kevin Mendering. Kevin, he and Kevin worked together for four races last year when Cliff Daniels was suspended when Kyle Larson's wheel came off at Sonoma. They finished 4th in Nashville, 3rd at Road America, had some issues at Atlanta in July. They finished 13th, and then their last race they worked together, they finished 14th at New Hampshire. William Byron being paired with Brian Campy. Brian, the interesting thing with Brian, he's the technical director for Hendrick Motorsports. He has not been a crew chief in any of NASCAR's top three series since 2009. 2009, he was Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s NASCAR Nationwide Series Crew Chief when he ran seven races that year. Brian also worked with the likes of Scott Wimmer, Ryan Newman, and Mark Martin. Brian's best finish as a crew chief, coincidentally, came at Atlanta Motor Speedway in 2009 with Dale Earnhardt Jr. behind the wheel. They won the pole for the race. Kevin Harvick dominated that night, and Dale Jr. was trying to win the race on fuel mileage, but Kevin Harvick hunted him down and passed him for the win with two laps to go, and ultimately, Dale Jr. had to finish third that night behind Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch. And then Tom Gray. Tom Gray will be filling in for Alan Gustafson, working with Josh Berry today, Richmond, and Bristol, and also working with Jordan Taylor next week at Circuit of the Americas. For Tom Gray... Tom has been the engineer under Alan Gustafson for a very, very long time, even going back to when it was Jeff Gordon's final season in the NASCAR Cup Series back in 2015. Tom Gray was the engineer. He's worked with Chase Elliott ever since then. And back in 2021, the morning of the Watkins Glen Cup race, Chase's car failed inspection several times, and Alan was ejected from the track. Tom Gray took on interim crew chief duties that day, and Chase came all the way from the back of the field to finish second to his teammate, Kyle Larson. So ultimately, I feel like these penalties that were handed down to Hendrick Motorsports, you know, $400,000 and 400 points amongst the four teams, all four crew chiefs being suspended for four races, and also Justin Haley and Colleague, you know, $100,000 and 100, or yeah, $100,000, 100 points, four race suspension for Trent Owens. And then you look at Denny Hamlin, you know, $50,000 and 25 points, Ultimately, I do feel like NASCAR made the right call as far as these penalties go. And, you know, some people are saying, like, oh, the penalties, you know, they're they're too severe, they're too harsh. Bullshit. At some point, you have to be consistent. If you're going to penalize Brad Keselowski 100 points last year for modifying a rear bumper panel on a car, you've got to penalize these Hendrick teams. You've got to penalize Colleague for modifying these louvers on the hood of the car. And I don't buy into Chad Canal saying that, you know, that how Chad – one of the most notorious cheaters in NASCAR history. When you think of it, how you know Chad was basically trying to play the victim card and saying that NASCAR gave him you know these these louvers that didn't fit the specs. And then Chad says he's like, "Oh, we tried to modify them. We try." So so Chad Canas is saying we tried to modify them. That's like basically a killer saying that, "Oh yeah, yeah, I pulled the trigger, but I want to plead not guilty." Like seriously, what the hell? was Chad Knauss thinking when he said these things Friday at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I don't get how, you know, he and Jeff Gordon and and all of them, how they're basically playing the victim when you get caught, you get caught. Okay? It's as simple as that. And as for Denny Hamlin goes, you know, Denny, I like Denny. I think he's a great talent. And I still say to this day that he's the best driver that's never won a cup championship I know a lot of people consider Mark Martin in that category but I'm thinking to myself like are you really that stupid to go on your podcast and admit that you intentionally squeeze Ross Chastain on the wall and then oh yeah you put out a tweet Friday saying after much thought I'm going to appeal the penalty all more to talk about Monday you basically set yourself up for that penalty Denny And now all of a sudden, you know, oh, oh, I'm not going to appeal it. Now I'm going to appeal it. I don't get where you're coming from. I feel like this is basically a losing battle for Hendrick Motorsports, for Colleague, for Denny Hamlin. I don't really feel or see any rhyme or reason for NASCAR to overturn these penalties. And like I was saying, I feel like it's a smart move on the part of Hendrick Motorsports to keep Blake Harris, Cliff Daniels. Rudy Fugel and Alan Gustafson, it's a smart move to keep them home for these next four races because they're not going to overturn these penalties. They're not. So the biggest thing with Hendrick Motorsports and these penalties that have been assessed to them particularly, the biggest thing that I think of when you think of the 100 point penalties and the deduction of 10 playoff points to all four teams, it honestly makes you wonder the speed that we've seen out of the Hendrick cars so far this year when you look at... The dominance from William Byron, you know, how he dominated Las Vegas and won the race and then won Phoenix. When you look at his teammate Kyle Larson, how fast he's been at Las Vegas and Phoenix. just It just seems like he and Cliff Daniels can't close a race out after they won 10 races in the championship in their first year together in 2021. But, like, you, su- you specifically look at Alex Bowman in the 48 team. And I know that a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of Alex Bowman fans, I'm sure they're cringing today having Greg Ives back atop the pit box. Because when Alex and Greg, when they went through that skid that they did throughout the summertime, you know, June, July, and August, and ultimately how all of Alex Bowman's fans were calling for Greg Ives to be fired or replaced or released. And when you know it, by the time they get to Daytona at the end of August, you know, Greg announces that he's stepping down as the crew chief at the end of the year. I wonder how that made them all feel. So they hired Blake Harris, talking about Alex Bowman and the 48 team at Hendrick Motorsports. They hired Blake Harris, who had been Martin Trex Jr.'s car chief for a very, very long time at Furniture Row Racing and Joe Gibbs Racing. And this past year in 2022, Blake was the crew chief for Michael McDowell at Front Row Motorsports. And what a phenomenal year that Michael McDowell had when you look at the third place finishes at Sonoma and Talladega, all the top tens, all the laps led. I mean, it really, really seemed like a breakout year for Michael McDowell, even though he had won the Daytona 500 the year before. So on October 14th last year, when Hendrick Motorsports announced that Alex Bowman was going to be paired with Blake Harris as his crew chief for 2023, I remember myself and Josh Manley, we were at Penn's Peak that night for a Bruce Springsteen cover band. And Josh even said it right then and there, how That was really a great signing by Hendrick Motorsports to pair Blake Harris with Alex Bowman. But ultimately, when I look at these first four races of the year, how they won the pole for the the Daytona 500 like they always do, finished fifth after all the cars crashed on the lead lap, eighth at California, the speed they showed there, third at Las Vegas, how they were really, really fast there as well. And then Phoenix, like I talked about on the last show, how Alex had struggled so much at Phoenix aside from that 2016 race when he filled in for Dale Earnhardt Jr. And ultimately, all the cautions fell his way there at the end, and they were able to finish ninth. And he was the championship leader for the first time in his career. So it honestly made me wonder, like, what exactly is going on with Hendrick Motorsports that they have such a distinct advantage over the rest of the field so far this year? Like I talked about on the last show, you know, Blake Harris had sort of been notorious for bending the rules and getting caught when he was Martin trex Jr.'s car chief. Look at how many times you know they would fail inspection at least twice, and it seemed like you know he would be the one getting ejected from the track that day. And then you look at the Pocono race last year with Michael McDowell once again modifying the car after the race was over. Michael had finished like sixth or seventh at Pocono, and ultimately Michael was docked a hundred driver and owner points and ten playoff points and. Blake was suspended for four races and that killed any chance that they truly had to maybe try and make the playoffs on points. I mean, we know that Michael McDowell can get it done at Daytona, Talladega, a Road Course, maybe even Atlanta today with it being a, a mini super speedway. But, you know, it, it seems like these guys like, you know, Blake Harris or obviously Chad Knaus, you know, how these guys, they've been notorious for bending the rules over the years and look at what happens. And on a serious note, talking about Alex Bowman, you know, Josh and I, we were talking about it on Sunday night because I couldn't believe that, you know, he of all people was leading the championship. I said to Josh, I'm like, the biggest thing, Josh, is he could be leading the points right now and he could be the only driver to have four top tens in four races so far this year. That's all well and good. But at the end of the day... He doesn't have any playoff points look at how william byron how he had racked up all those playoff points over these past two races sweeping all the stages of that las vegas motor speedway stage one stage two wins the race wins stage one at phoenix raceway and then ultimately wins the race at phoenix so you do the math so you figure seven stage points from las vegas then another one Stage 1 at Phoenix, and then winning the race. So William Byron had racked up 13 playoff points over the past two weeks. And being docked 10 playoff points, he now only has three. Alex Bowman did not have a single playoff point to his name. And after these penalties that came down on Wednesday, he is now minus 10 in the playoff points category. Minus 10 just like Brad Keslowski was last year, just like Michael McDowell was. And Kyle Larson, you know, Kyle Larson, he won the second stage at Phoenix Raceway. He gets docked those 10 playoff points. Kyle Larson now has a grand total of negative one playoff points. And like Dale Earnhardt Jr. talked about on his podcast, these playoff points that they've been deducted, Alex Bowman, William Byron, Kyle Larson... When we get to the playoffs, we get to the round of 16, the round of 12, the round of 8, that could be the difference between moving on to the next round or getting knocked out. It's it's a harsh reality, it really is. Same for Justin Haley. Justin Haley is like has like negative 42 points on the year after the the point penalty that was handed down from Phoenix. And it's a little crazy with the system now. You know, you have the top 30 rule for the past several years where as long as you won a race, you attempted all the races, you stay in the top 30 in points, you're a playoff team. So Justin Haley is about 40th something in points. He could win today and be in the playoffs just like that and still have negative points to his name. It's, it's absolutely crazy. So I think that out of these four Hendrick teams, I mean, all of them suffer But out of these four Hendrick teams, I think the one that definitely gets affected the most by this is the 48 of Alex Bowman, as I said, because no playoff points to your name, and now you're negative 10 in that category. With William Byron, you know, 13 playoff points compared to three, I feel like, I mean, it hurts, but I feel like he's the one that's going to suffer the most from this in the end. The biggest winner out of all these penalties that have been handed down to Hendrick Motorsports is Chase Elliott. You're thinking, how how the hell is that possible? And, of course, as you can imagine, the conspiracy theorists that have come out and be like, oh, of course Chase Elliott doesn't get penalized 100 points. Why should he? He wasn't in the race on Sunday. You know, Josh Berry, you know, Josh Berry, he races in Xfinity. That's where he earns all of his points. He's not going to earn any driver points racing in the Cup Series, at least not until next year. You know, who knows? Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kelly Earnhardt Miller. I know that they've been working feverishly to, to get that charter and, have Junior Motorsports be a Cup team full time in 2024, if all the pieces line up and you get Bass Pro Shops and Tire Pros and all these great sponsors that Josh Berry and Junior Motorsports have. If you have them, you get a charter, 20 million dollars or so. Who knows? You know, Josh Berry could be racing full time in the Cup Series come 2024. So Josh Berry wasn't penalized any driver points. Chase Elliott wasn't penalized a single point because. He's been out of the car for the last 3 races, you know? Really the biggest winner out of out of these penalties the Hendrick Motorsports was Chase Elliott. Because even though even though he's missed these last 2 races and is going to miss the third one later today at his home track Atlanta Motor Speedway, he's actually ahead of Kyle Larson and Alex Bowman in the points. It's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But at the same time, even though he wasn't penalized any points, any you know hundred points, ten playoff points. Even though he had none of that happen, the nine team has still been docked ten playoff points, and that could come back to bite them later in the year. I mean, you know, Chase can make it all just like last year. Chase can make it all the way to the championship four, but the nine team could. There's a possibility that they might not be eligible for the owners championship once again. We saw how crazy of a scenario that was, you know, when Kyle Larson gets knocked out of the round at twelve, but he wins Miami, the five car has a shot to win the owners' championship and not the drivers' championship. There, there is that possibility of something crazy like that happening again. So ultimately, I have to applaud NASCAR for these penalties that they handed down to Hendrick Motorsports. I felt like it was it was only right. I felt like it, it was the same thing for Justin Haley. I know it's a bit of a smaller team, but at the end of the day. Rules are rules. You have to be consistent in this garage area. You have to be. I mean, I think NASCAR sort of realized the backlash that they would have gotten if, even if they would have penalized Hendrick Motorsports, but even if it wasn't a 100-point penalty like Brad Keselowski had, had suffered last year. So kudos to NASCAR as far as these penalties that were handed down. As I said, with themselves, with Colleague, with Denny Hamlin, I don't see any way whatsoever that these are going to be overturned. Of course, you look at William Byron last year. You know, William dumps Denny Hamlin under caution at Texas Motor Speedway in the playoffs and basically admits that he did it on purpose. You know, he gets fined $50,000. He gets docked 25 points. And then when you know it, Hendrick Motorsports, they go and appeal it. And just like that. They give William Byron his 25 points back, but they increase the fine to $100,000. So, ultimately, I don't know if... And it's so ironic, you know, since Denny Hamlin was on the other side of this when it happened last year. That would be so ironic, but I, I honestly don't know if that's going to happen because... As we know, Denny Hamlin, as talented as he is, and the fact that he's a car owner now as well, we also know how he's been very, very outspoken of NASCAR over the past decade and a half or so. So when you look at guys like that, when you look at, you know, Kevin Harvick was another one last year at Talladega, you know, he gets docked 100 points for something wrong with the decklet at Talladega Super Speedway. And Rodney Childers gets fined $100,000 and has to sit at home for four races. So I think ultimately when you have guys like Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, guys that have been in this garage area, you know, for close to two decades, I know Kevin Kevin is well over two decades, but, you know, Brad Keselowski and Denny Hamlin, they made their truck series debuts back in 2004, Brad and Martinsville Speedway and Denny Hamlin at Indianapolis Raceway Park. When you consider how outspoken they've been of NASCAR over the years, You know, it's no wonder why they they probably got docked 100 points or so or 25 points in Denny's case, you know. So I honestly don't see, like I was saying, any way that these get turned over. Speaking of Kevin Harvick, I'll tell you, Thursday night, you had to wonder if someone was cutting up onions in the room. So sometime Thursday afternoon, Kevin Harvick's Twitter page said, tune in to NASCAR Race Hub tonight at 6 o'clock Eastern time for a very special announcement. And a lot of people are thinking throughout the day, like, what's a special announcement? You've already announced that you're going to retire at the end of the year. You've already announced that you're going to be the main analyst for NASCAR on Fox come 2024. You know, what is it? And like I was texting Josh Manley that afternoon, I said, I hope it's something awesome. I hope it's some sort of throwback for Darlington, for instance. You know, I hope it's not not some sort of stupid thing, you know. There were even some people all throughout Twitter and Reddit that were saying like, oh, you think Kevin Harvick is going to pull a Tom Brady or an Eric Amarola and say like, you know, I'm running so good so far this year, I'm leading the championship, I'm going to come back for 2024. But honestly, I think Kevin Harvick sort of has the same mindset that Dale Earnhardt Jr. did in 2017. I honestly do not see Kevin ever getting back behind the wheel of a cup car after the checkered flag falls on November 5th at Phoenix. So afternoon becomes the evening, and you're wondering what exactly this announcement is going to be. At the same time, Stuart Haas Racing released a video on their social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And here's Kevin sitting down in a garage with a piece of paper, and he starts writing and narrating at the same time. And he started off with, things didn't start out the way that we expected them to. And all of a sudden, they start showing all of these clips from 2001 and they're showing all the clips of Kevin making his cup debut at Rockingham just one week after Dale Earnhardt was killed. And the one clip where Kevin said that particular weekend at Rockingham, he said, if Dale Earnhardt had a broken leg and wanted me to drive his race car, I'd drive the hell out of it. And that's exactly what I'm gonna do this weekend. And this video goes on, and you start seeing these first few weeks of Kevin's career with him in this the white 29. Jam, good wrench car. And then you see the clips of him scoring his first NASCAR Winston Cup victory at Atlanta Motor Speedway in that thrilling photo finish with Jeff Gordon, six one thousandths of a second over Jeff Gordon. And he talks about how over the next 13 years, how he became a contender, won some big races, had a few heartbreaks along the way. <laughs> jumped over a few hoods and threw a few punches and said what needed to be said. And they're showing these shots. They're showing this B-roll of that white 29 GM wrench car. And then Kevin says, as I take my final laps, it's only fitting. And, for, and you know how tough of a person Kevin Harvick has always been. And just to hear his voice crack, as he said, as I take my final laps, it's only fitting that we race together one more time. And he, you could tell he was ready to cry at that moment. And Kevin wrote on this little piece of paper, he wrote, 29, let's ride. That's right. Kevin Harvick will be racing a white number 29 In his final NASCAR Cup Series All-Star Race, May 21st, at North Wilkesboro Speedway. And how fitting and how special that is. As somebody that grew up as a fan of Dale Earnhardt, and ultimately became a fan of Dale Earnhardt Jr., I cannot express enough what that white 29 paint scheme And that win at Atlanta Motor Speedway just three weeks after Dale's death, what that meant to so many people and so many Earnhardt fans. And so that particular paint scheme and that number will always have a special place in my heart, especially when, and I'm sure we'll see it throughout the day today in the pre race and throughout the race. I'm sure especially with this being Kevin Harvick's final spring race at Atlanta Motor Speedway, and then when they go back there July 9th for his final cup race at Atlanta Motor Speedway, you know that they're going to show those clips of Kevin in that white 29 taking a Polish victory lap around Atlanta Motor Speedway, holding three fingers out the window. And Dale Earnhardt Jr., Richard Childress, so many people, like they've talked about, Nobody could ever replace Dale Earnhardt. Nobody ever did. Nobody ever will. But there was no one suited any better to take over the car of the greatest NASCAR driver there ever was than Kevin Harvick. And so a lot of people, they were probably wondering, like, how exactly did this deal come about? You know, Kevin left Richard Childress Racing at the end of 2013 to go over to Stuart Haas Racing, take it and, you know create the four team with Rodney Childers, And a lot of people were wondering, you know, like a few weeks before Kevin left, you know, he made the comment about the Dylan brothers, you know, calling them a bunch of spoiled rich kids and whatnot. You know, people were wondering like, uh, did he burn any bridges with Richard Childress? But like the time, like the whole saying goes, time heals all wounds. That was 10 years ago. I'm sure Kevin and Richard, I'm sure that they, they talk things through. And here we are 10 years later, they still have a good friendship. They have a great relationship together. And Kevin knew well before he announced on January 12th that he was going to be retiring at the end of the year. Kevin knew probably even before 2022, because originally he wanted to retire at the end of 2021. Towards the end of 2022, when he sat down with Tony Stewart and several people at Stewart Haas Racing, and they said to him, they said, what do you want to do for your final season? And Kevin started thinking, and a trend that we've seen over the past dozen years or so, the all-star race. Obviously, with it not being a points race, we've seen how drivers have changed their number for that particular race. I look back to 2011. You know, everybody remembers Jimmy Johnson with that 48 car. But for the all-star race, Jimmy actually used Mark Martin's five number. It was like some sort of... Special that Lowe's had some sort of thing, you know, five percent off or whatever. And that particular year, 2011, that was the 25th anniversary of when Tim Richmond came to Hendrick Motorsports and won seven races and finished third in the championship behind Dale Earnhardt and Daryl Waltrip. So they wanted to do a throwback special to Tim Richmond that red 25 Folgers coffee car that he had. So Jimmy ran the five at the all-star race and Mark Martin ran the 25. Then you look back to 2016, Kyle Busch, M&Ms, and Mars. It was the 75th anniversary of Mars. So for that particular race, Kyle took the 18 off of his car and slapped the 75 on it for the 75th anniversary of Mars. So Kevin said to Tony Stewart and the folks at SHR, he said, for the all-star race, and especially with it being at North Wilkesboro, I want to run the 29 one last time. And Tony and the folks said, well, we could contact Richard about it. And Kevin said, no, it's, it's only right if I contact him about it. So Kevin made the phone call to Richard Childress. You know, Richard said, you know, hey, how are things going? And Kevin made it known that he fully intended to retire in 2023. I mean, he. I'm sure he privately told Richard at that moment that 2023 was going to be his final season in the Cup Series. And he said, Richard, I have this idea that I would love to run the 29 for one last time for my final All-Star race. I was wondering if you would allow me to use the 29 for that race. And Richard re- replied, he said, Kevin... He did so many great things for this company, and it still felt today. He said, "You're more than welcome to use the 29 for the All-Star race." And when Kevin was on NASCAR Race Hub on Thursday night, you know he said just really how excited he is for this moment—the white 29—and especially with Stuart haas being a Ford team ever since 2017, you're thinking, well, obviously, you know that's a GM good-wrench paint scheme. You know that that's sort of playing with fire. I get it, but number one, GM Goodwrench doesn't even exist anymore. Secondly, you could run the paint scheme. Kevin Harvick is going to have Bush Light on the car, and Bush Light will have the decals that they had all the way back in 2001. That's what makes this paint scheme so special. And Kevin said, really, you know, how he can't wait to take pictures with Richard Childress on pit road before the all-star race at North Wilkesboro of all places. North Wilkesboro getting back on the schedule, how much this track has meant to Richard over the years, how much it meant to Dale Earnhardt winning five times at North Wilkesboro Speedway. It's going to be very, very special on May 21st. And I think it's safe to say, you know, we, we see the throwbacks for Darlington, we see special paint schemes for the All-Star race over the years. Dale Earnhardt was really the one that sort of spearheaded that effort and that that moment when he had the silver car for the nineteen ninety-five Winston All-Star race, since it was Winston's twenty-fifth year in the sport. That definitely spearheaded the special paint schemes, not just for the All-Star race, but moving forward. You know, he had the, the red and white, red, white, and blue car for the ninety six Olympics, the Wheaties car in ninety seven the gold Bass Pro Shops car in 1998 that Dale Earnhardt Jr. raced at Florence, South Carolina back in November. Brought Wrangler back in 1999, that crazy-looking Peter Max car in 2000. And originally, I believe Dale was either going to run a white Goodwrench car, or I think it might have been an AOL car that he was going to run for the 2001 Winston All-Star race before he was killed, because Kevin Harvick had AOL On the car for his first All-Star race back in 2001. I can't even put into words what Kevin Harvick has meant for this sport. And it's so fitting to see him run that 29 one last time. You know, people have often debated, what are you going to remember Kevin Harvick by more? Is it going to be the 29 or is it going to be the 4? And, you know, the 29 has been on the shelf at RCR ever since Kevin left at the end of 2013. It's hard to say because, you know, the 29, things began under very tragic circumstances as far as Kevin's cup career goes. And that four car and that team with Rodney Childers, that was really Kevin's first true opportunity to emerge from Dale's shadow and sort of create a path and a legacy of his own. But nevertheless, I am... So excited to see Kevin run those colors and that number one last time. And I still hope November 5th at Phoenix, I still hope it's only fitting that there would be some sort of GM Goodrunch throwback for that race. And the other cool thing, excuse me, the other cool thing with Kevin Harvick during these first five races of his final season is how Kevin has had different helmets made for every race. You know, 2000, he had his 2007 Daytona 500 helmet, a replica of it for his final Daytona 500. He had the, the Spears helmet for his final race at his home track in California. And for today at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Kevin is going to have his AC Delco helmet because the, the crazy thing is that weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Kevin was just running a white helmet And something must have gone wrong with the helmet. I don't know if it didn't fit well or there was some sort of radio issue or whatever. So Kevin went over from his Busch Series car, you know, since that was the plan was to run the full Busch Series season in 2001, along with seven cup races before moving up full time in 2002. Kevin just won after the Busch race on Saturday, got his AC Delco helmet, and that's what he ended up winning his first cup race with. That Sunday was his AC Delco helmet. So really, really, really cool seeing it, you know, white and with the white and blue with the flames and whatnot. It's it's very, very special. So later today at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the Ambetter Health 400. Three o'clock Eastern time on Fox. In the booth is Mike Joy, Clint Boyer, and three-time Atlanta winner, Tony Stewart. Now, we talked throughout the show in these past several weeks about how dominant Chevrolet has been these first four races of the year. They are 4-0 on the season for the first time since 2001. As we talked about, Michael Waltrip scoring the first win of his career on that tragic day at Daytona, Steve Park at Rockingham, Jeff Gordon at Las Vegas, and Kevin Harvick, the first win of his career at Atlanta Motor Speedway before Dale Jarrett and Ford would win the following weekend at Darlington. Chevrolet is trying to go 5-0 for the first time to start a season since 1995, when Sterling Marlin won the Daytona 500, Jeff Gordon won at Rockingham, Terry Labonte at Richmond, Jeff again at Atlanta, and then Sterling Marlin at Darlington. Ultimately, the streak would go to 7-0. Jeff would win again at Bristol, And Dale Earnhardt would win at North Wilkesboro before Rusty Wallace and Ford would win at Martinsville. So 4-0 for Chevrolet so far this season. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in the Daytona 500, Kyle Busch at California, and William Byron back-to-back weekends at Las Vegas and Phoenix. So you would think going into qualifying yesterday morning at Atlanta Motor Speedway, since this is basically a mini super speedway and whatnot, you would figure that you know, the Hendrick Chevrolets or Chevrolet in general would dominate qualifying, right? No way. Ford has locked down the first eight starting spots in a field for a NASCAR Cup Series race for the first time since 1965. 1965, when Ned Jarrett would win the championship that year for Ford. The highest qualified Chevrolet and the only Chevrolet to make the top 10 was Kyle Larson in ninth, and Christopher Bell, he was the only Toyota that made the final round of qualifying, but he spun during his qualifying lap, did some damage to the car, and he ultimately will have to start at the back of the field today. So 260 laps around Atlanta Motor Speedway, stage one, lap 60, stage two, lap 160. Now, you would think going into this race, obviously someone like Kevin Harvick, three wins at Atlanta Motor Speedway, March of 2001, 2018, 2020, you would figure that you know he would be the favorite, but ever since they reconfigured Atlanta, and it's now 28 degrees of banking, and because of the fresh pavement and the speeds, NASCAR basically neutered these cars, 510 horsepower, giant rear spoilers, so it pretty much is a mini super speedway, and that's the way it was last year with William Byron winning in March and Chase Elliott winning in July, and ultimately... Atlanta used to be a driver's racetrack, you know, you would have guys like a Kevin Harvick or Jeff Gordon running right on the very bottom of the racetrack, Tony Stewart running through the middle, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kyle Larson, Harry Gant running right up against the wall. Now, it's basically a crapshoot, just like Daytona and Talladega is. The two races yesterday were an absolute disgrace to the sport, in my opinion. When you look at all the trucks that got torn up yesterday, Christian Eckes went on to win the truck race. And then all the carnage last night in the Xfinity race with Austin Hill winning. So, really, Atlanta Motor Speedway, I can't really focus too much on, you know, Kevin Harvick has three wins at, at Atlanta. Brad Keselowski has two wins at Atlanta. You, you really can't. None of that really matters. Because now Atlanta has become a race of survival. So when So, ultimately... I had to pull up the results from both races last year to really sort of guide myself and get any sort of real ideas to who's going to be good today if they have a chance to stick around at the end. So we talked about Brad Keselowski and his former team, Team Penske, a sweep of the top three spots in qualifying. On the poll is the 22 of Joey Logano, his second poll at Atlanta Motor Speedway going back to 2015. Looking at last year's results at Atlanta Motor Speedway, Joey finished 9th in March, but then wrecked in July and would end up finishing 26th. His teammate, Austin Sendrick, joins him on the front row in 2nd. Austin was sort of an innocent bystander in March. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was leading the race, cut a right front tire down. Coming down the track, Austin had nowhere to go, slammed into him and finished 32nd. But when they came back in July, he would finish third. Their teammate Ryan Blaney is starting third. Now, Ryan last year had a great shot to win Atlanta until the last lap of the race. You know, his best friend Bubba Wallace was running in second. Ryan was latched right onto his rear bumper. They were trying to see if they could make a run at William Byron going off in a turn one. Ryan got into him way too hard, ultimately got Bubba loose. He hit the wall and Ryan hit the wall as well and would finish 17th. And then when they went back there in July, he got a top five. Starting fourth, their former teammate, the number six Kings Hawaiian Ford of Brad Keselowski. As we talked about, this was the race last year where Brad's season pretty much came unglued. The unapproved adjustments, having to go to the back of the field for the rear bumper panel. As I talked about earlier, Brad was able to drive all the way up to fourth before colliding on pit road with Eric Amarola was able to get back up to 12th at the end of the day, but then, obviously, the 100-point penalty that came down a few days later that pretty much killed his season. When NASCAR went back to Atlanta in July, Brad, having a bad result the week before at Road America, finishing 33rd. Qualifying gets rained out on Saturday. He has to start 31st on the field. Once again, Brad Keselowski drives all the way up through the field, drives up to 3rd, finishes the second stage in 3rd, Terrible pit stop. Absolutely terrible pit stop. They go back to green. He gets caught up in a wreck. Ultimately got caught up in the mess with with Denny Hamlin and Ross Chastain. And because of all the damage, Brad Keselowski had to solve for an 18th place finish in the July race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Starting fifth is the ten of Eric Almarola. Eric got caught up in a wreck in March, finished 22nd. And then when they went back there in July, was able to finish 8th. Starting 6th is his teammate, the number 4 of Kevin Harvick, obviously a sentimental favorite for today, with this being nearly being the 22nd anniversary of his first Cup win at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Kevin, ultimately, just like a lot of these guys we talked about, you know, the March race last year got caught up in a wreck, had a ride around the rest of the day and finished 21st, and ultimately finished 12th in July. Starting 7th is the 17 of Chris Buescher. Chris finished 7th in the March race last year at Atlanta, But then in July, had a right front tire go down and ended up hitting the wall pretty hard and was done for the day. Very, very early on. Yeah, Chris finished 33rd at Atlanta in July. Starting 8th is the 14 of Chase Briscoe. You know, Chase was another one, had a great shot to win this race last year. Got caught up in a little bit of a mess there at the end, finished 15th. And then when they went back there in July, Chase finished 16th. Starting alongside of him in 12th is the 34 of Michael McDowell. Michael was another one, fell victim to getting caught up in some carnage in March, finishing 24th, and then finished 15th in July. Starting 13th is the 3 of Austin Dillon. This has not, the new Atlanta has not been good to Austin Dillon. Got caught up in a wreck with his future teammate Kyle Bush in March, finishing 35th. And then when they went back there in July, got caught up in a wreck as well. And finished 35th. Starting 14th is the 11 of Denny Hamlin. Last year at Atlanta Motor Speedway for Denny Hamlin, he finished... He wrecked in the March race with his future employee, Tyler Reddick. He finished 29th in March. And then the incident with Ross Chastain in July, he finished 25th. Starting 15th is the 48th of Alex Bowman, as I talked about, reuniting with Greg Ives for these next four races after his crew chief, Blake Harris, has been suspended. Alex got a top 10 in March after the field crash, coming to the checkered flag. He was running in the top five in July and cut a left left rear tire down and finished 32nd. I forgot to mention his teammate William Byron, the defending winner of this race. William will be starting in 11th with interim crew chief Brian Campy. As I said, William won the March race and then ultimately wrecked in July and finished 30th. His teammate Kyle Larson, as I said, the only Hendrick Motorsports car, to qualify, the only Chevrolet to qualify in the top 10, starting in 9th. Kyle got caught up in a wreck with Denny Hamlin and Tyler Reddick in March. He finished 30th, had some mechanical issues in July, and still finished 13th. One of his good friends, Christopher Bell, starting 10th, has to go to the back of the field. The thing with Christopher is he did finish 2nd to William Byron in this race last year, but... Ross Chastain sort of forced him below the the yellow line on the backstretch, and even though Christopher finished second, ultimately he was penalized to 23rd in the end, the last car in the lead lap. Then when they went back there in July, he finished 19th. So taking a look at the rest of the the guys in the starting lineup, starting 16th, the 45 of Tyler Reddick, we talked about the wreck with Denny Hamlin last year, 28th in March, and then... In July, one week after his first cup win at Road America, wrecked as well and finished 29th. Starting 17th is the car that he used to drive, the number 8 of Kyle Busch. As I said, you know Kyle getting caught up in a wreck in this race last year with his future teammate Austin Dillon. He finished 33rd and he ran into trouble in the July race as well and finished 20th. Starting 18th as the number one of Ross Chastain. Ross finished second in both races last year to William Byron in March and Chase Elliott in July. Probably had a shot to pass Chase right there on the last lap before the caution flag for Corey LaJoy and Kurt Busch. And Tyler Reddick driving the 45, you know, Kurt finished third in the March race. And then in July, he had the wreck with Corey LaJoy, hit Corey pretty hard, and unfortunately, we all saw what would end up happening two weeks later at Pocono when he suffered the concussion and has not been able to return since then. Starting 19th is the other 23 XI car, the 23 of Bubba Wallace, as we just talked about. You know, Bubba had a great shot to win this race last year. He was running second, going down in a turn one on the last lap. Brian Blaney gets into him. And then that horrible crash coming to the checkered flag with Chris Buescher and Justin Haley. Bubba would end up finishing 13th, definitely seemed like he got the breath knocked out of him when he got out of the car in March, and then ultimately finished 14th in July. Starting 20th, the guy that we just talked about, the 31 of Justin Haley, you know, Justin had a, we know how good he is with super speedway, uh, super speedway style of racing, he finished 11th in March, and then in July, he ultimately finished 7th. So they definitely have to make the most of the state just knowing that. Trent Owens is definitely going to miss some time. Starting 21st is the number 9 of Josh Berry, as we talked about. Chase Elliott won this race back in July. Josh himself, it seems like he's adapted pretty good to the new Atlanta. He finished second to Austin Hill in July of last year. And then last night in the Xfinity race, ended up fi- getting a top 10 finish. So, And Josh has momentum on his side as he's coming off of the first top 10 finish of his cup career. Starting in 22nd is his former junior motorsports teammate, the 42 of Noah Gregson. Starting 23rd is the 38 of Todd Gillen. You know, Todd had a fast car in both Atlanta races last year, got caught up in that wreck with Cody Ware in March, finished 27th, and then in July finished 17th. Starting 24th is the 41 of Ryan Priest. You know, Cole Custer, as horrible as things were for him in the Cup Series last year, he did really, really good at the new Atlanta Motor Speedway as he finished ninth in the July race. Starting 25th is the 99 of Daniel Suarez. Daniel was 4th in the March race and 6th in the July race. Starting 26th is the 77 of Ty Dillon. Ty, in this race last year, ultimately got caught up in that wreck with his big brother Austin and Kyle Busch, finishing 36th. And then when they went back there in July, wrecked as well and finished 28th. Starting 27th is the 47th of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. We talked about, you know, Ricky obviously being the Daytona 500 champion. He, he had such a good car in this race last year as Ricky would lead 22 laps on the day. Had a tire blowout while he was leading the race, collecting Austin Sendrick. Had to settle for 31st and then was 31st as well in the July race. Starting 29th is the nineteen of Martin Trex Jr., 8th in March. And 11th in July, after getting caught up in that big wreck with Joey Logano early on. Starting 30th is the 16 of AJ Allmendinger. Now the 16 in this race last year was piloted by Noah Gregson in both races, but he crashed out of both of them and finished 37th and 34th. Starting 31st, definitely the Cinderella story last year at Atlanta Motor Speedway, the 7 of Corey LaJoy. Corey, in the March race last year, he was without his crew chief, Ryan Sparks, who was suspended four races because of the wheel coming off at Phoenix. Corey gets spun out early on at Atlanta and would come all the way back to get the first top five finish of his career in fifth. Matching the same amount of top five finishes his father, Randy, had in the Cup Series, Randy got a top five for Hendrick Motorsports in April of 1998, at Martinsville Speedway. Had a great battle there at the end of the race with Dale Earnhardt for fourth. When they went back to Atlanta in July, you know, Corey, that seven-team Spire, they have that alliance with Hendrick Motorsports. They get their engines from them. Corey drove an excellent race at Atlanta, ultimately leading 19 laps on the day. Running second behind Chase Elliott, coming to take the white flag, was leading with just a few laps to go, for that matter. You know, Corey LaJoy was leading with Three laps to go when Chase Elliott passed him, thanks to the help of Eric Jones. And ultimately, we all know what happened. is he went down in a turn one, Chase crowded him. Corey hit the wall, lost control, took Kurt Busch with him, and finished 21st. We just talked about Eric Jones in the 43 car, how he helped Chase Elliott win that race in July. Eric ultimately would end up finishing fourth. He will roll off 28th today. Starting 32nd is the 51 of Cody Ware. Starting 33rd, the 21 of Harrison Burton. Harrison finished 25th in March and had a great run in the July races. He would get the first top 10 finish of his career in 10th. Starting 34th is the 15 of J.J. Yaley. Starting 35th, the 54 of Ty Gibbs, who won the March Xfinity race at Atlanta last year. Ty hit the wall during his qualifying lap. That's why he's starting all the way back there. And starting 36th on the field, the 78 of B.J. McLeod, who spun out during his qualifying lap yesterday morning. So ultimately, <clears throat> Atlanta Motor Speedway. And as I've been talking about, it would be so easy to go with Chevrolet with how dominant they were at this particular racetrack last year. With William Byron winning the March race, Chase Elliott winning the July race, Corey LaJoy nearly pulling off the Cinderella story there in July. And ultimately, the biggest thing is, you know, with William Byron, he's not going to have Rudy Fugel today. He's going to have Brian Campy. The nine team, they don't have Chase Elliott today. They have Josh Berry. And that's not a knock on Josh Berry. Obviously, as we know, you know, Josh, he could definitely get up there and mix it up with the leaders. be running in the top 10, top five. Who knows? Maybe just like Kevin Harvick, you know, he could end up getting the first cup win of his career today. We know how much of a grinder Josh Berry is. And I mean, really you know, that team has shown before when they had Tom Gray as their their interim crew chief, you know, they were able to finish second on that particular day. So looking at Hendrick Motorsports in general, I ultimately, it would be great to see William Byron pull off three in a row, but I just feel like the absence of Rudy Fugel, I feel like that's going to hurt him today. Josh Berry, as I said, you know, even though this is only just his third race on the nine car, I feel like He definitely could have a shot there at the end, as long as he's in contention. Kyle Larson in the five, as we talked about, you know, super speedway racing is definitely not his cup of tea. I mean, ultimately, as crazy as it may sound, as far as the the best chance for a Hendrick car today, I'd probably have to go with the 48 of Alex Bowman. Got a top 10 in this race last year, was running in the top five in July when he had the tire go down and crashed. He's reunited with Greg Ives. I know that Kyle Larson worked a little bit with Kevin Mandering last year, but you know Alex and Greg, they definitely have a long, long history together. So ultimately, I don't know if Alex's top 10 streak will continue today, but I definitely feel like he's going to have a good shot as far as Hendrick Motorsports is concerned. You look at the Penske cars, you know Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, we know how they've always had a prowess for super speedway racing. The biggest thing with Joey and Ryan is, you know, they can't get caught up in, in things. Just like the March race last year with Blaney, just like the July race with Joey. If they are in contention there at the end, they'll definitely have a good shot at it. Just like Austin Center can. I mean, Austin finished third in this race last year. The guy that used to drive that two car, the sixth of Brad Keslowski, as we talked about, you know, the two wins at Atlanta 2017, 2019, but that doesn't really matter now with this being a mini super speedway race. But as we talked about last year, you know, as much as Brad Matt McCall and the 6 team as much as they struggled, they were really really good at Atlanta Motor Speedway. 12th in March, 18th in July, definitely had a top 3 car in July before they ran into all the trouble there. Definitely didn't definitely didn't get the finishes they deserved. And as we talk about when it's super speedway racing, what better spotter is there than TJ Majors? Brad definitely has an ace in the hole today with TJ Majors. And when he was talking to Clint Boyer yesterday morning in the garage before qualifying, you know, Clint said, he's like, you guys are running great this year. You know, Daytona, California, Las Vegas, Phoenix. He said to Brad, he's like, when are you going to win? And Brad Keselowski looked Clint Boyer dead in the eye and he said, this weekend. That's, That's confidence, especially for being an owner driver. But like with Brad, as great as he is at Super Speedway racing, he's another one. Sometimes wrong place, wrong time. His teammate, the 17 of Chris Buescher, you know, Chris was excellent in this race last year. Before we get back into our discussion as to who I feel is going to have a great shot today at Atlanta Motor Speedway, some developing news in the garage area. Right now, John Hunter Nemechek, who raced in... The doubleheader yesterday, the truck series race and the Xfinity race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Currently, John Hunter Nemechek is getting fitted in Tyler Reddick's number 45 Toyota because Tyler has not been feeling well this morning. He is sick. It is still undetermined whether Tyler is going to start this race or not. Definitely a precaution. I could definitely see a scenario where Tyler... Maybe starts the race and then first caution, depending on how he's feeling, maybe he gets out of the car and John Hunter Niemicek finishes for him, but definitely a rough start to Tyler's tenure at 23XI. The wrecks at the Daytona 500 in California, engine failure before practice even begins at Las Vegas, finishing 15th, finally got a break this past Sunday at Phoenix, finishing third, but definitely luck is not on the side of Tyler Reddick so far this year. So definitely an interesting development. Definitely going to have to follow what happens with Tyler Reddick, John Hunter Nemechek, and the 45 team. Getting back to talking about a couple Fords here, but Eric Almarola, Kevin Harvick, Chase Briscoe, Ryan Priest, it seems like all of these guys have a really, really good prowess for super speedway style of racing. When I look at the Toyotas, I would probably have to say Denning Hamlin Starting in 14th, Bubba Wallace in 19th, I feel like those guys definitely will have the best shot. I feel like as far as the Toyota is concerned. As far as the RCR cars go, Austin Dillon, Kyle Busch, it definitely doesn't feel like this suits their style of driving. But when I look at an RCR affiliate and track house and colleague, Ross Chastain, Daniel Suarez, Justin Haley. It feels like these guys have really, really adapted well to the new Atlanta Motor Speedway. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., our Daytona 500 champion. Obviously, the things that JTG gets from Hendrick. The 43 of Eric Jones. And like I've been talking about, the ultimate Cinderella story at Atlanta last year is the 7 of Corey LaJoy. You know, Harrison Burton, as much grief as I give him, I, I felt like, you know, he he did really well at Atlanta last year. But I think another thing... You have to take two things into consideration. First off, the yellow line rule that we have at Atlanta Motor Speedway now. You know, you go below the yellow line like Christopher Bell did in the March race last year. It cost him a second place finish. He was put all the way back in 23rd. But also, the new pit road rule, you have to come on the pit road on the apron and turn three. Almost kind of like the access road that we had at Homestead Miami Speedway for a number of years right up until late 2000s, I believe it was, like 2008 or 2009. And you almost wonder, coming onto pit road, you know, having to lose all that speed, it definitely feels like someone is going to mess up at some point or another today. And I feel like there definitely is going to be at least one or two major pileups with the atrocities that we saw yesterday in the truck race and the Xfinity race. And like we've talked about so many times, you know, it's not just teammates working together in super speedway style racing. It's also the manufacturers, you know, when you look at the Fords with, you know, RFK, Penske, Stuart Haas. You look at the Chevrolets with Hendrick, RCR, Trackhouse, the Toyotas with Gibbs and 2311. So definitely going to see a lot of help from manufacturers, say like Chase Elliott when he won this race last year. It wasn't a Hendrick car that that helped him win the race. It was a fellow Chevrolet. It was a petty GMS car with Eric Jones. So you definitely have to take those things into consideration. So the time has finally come. Who is my pick to go to Victory Lane today at Atlanta Motor Speedway? And the biggest thing with Ford dominating qualifying, kind of like the way that Chevrolet dominates Daytona 500 qualifying, you just wonder are they showing all their speed in a single in a single line all by themselves is Chevrolet holding something back kind of like Ford does at, at Daytona and Talladega that's that's really like one of the biggest concerns that I sort of have going into today but like I talked about I feel like Hendrick Motorsports being without their crew chiefs you know without Blake Harris, Cliff Daniels, Rudy Fugel, Alan Gustafson I feel like that's definitely going to hurt them a little bit over these next few weeks, and depending on how the appeal process goes, Toyota's like I said, probably Denny or Bubba Wallace, but f- for whatever reason, I definitely have a feeling, despite you know the the concerns like speed and qualifying versus speed in the race, I feel like Chevrolet's 4 and0 start to the season. I definitely feel like it could come to an end today, and I feel like if if there was one particular manufacturer that definitely could put an end to it it would definitely have to be Ford you look at the Penske cars you look at Stuart Haas you know Kevin Harvick obviously for sentimental reasons that would be an excellent story 22 years after his first win in this particular race to see him go to victory lane in this race once again ultimately I don't know if it's going to happen you know Kevin I feel like you know his luck on a super speedway is sort of You know, it's sort of a a bit of a seesaw. If he has a shot there at the end, you know you can't count him out. But it seems like more often than not, his time at Stuart Haas Racing, it seems like always getting swept up in something as far as super speedway racing goes. And this, I've, I've thought really, really hard about my pick for this race. And like the old saying goes... You want to go with your head and not with your heart. And I'm so tempted. I'm really, really tempted to take the number six of Brad Keselowski. And I know what you guys are thinking. Oh, yeah, that's such a homer pick and whatnot. My biggest thing with Brad Keselowski is they have got to put together that last stage of the race. They've got to put together the last 100 miles. That's been the biggest problem that I've seen so far this year. Do they have the speed? Hell yeah, they have the speed compared to last year. They are miles ahead of where they were last year. Obviously, the new cars, the points penalty, all those equations that go into it. They had the car to beat at the Daytona 500. They led 42 laps. They got ganged up on by the all the Chevrolets. Brad has to pit for fuel. He gets caught up in a wreck. You know the rest of the story on the last lap of the race. Overcoming a spin at California Speedway to finish 7th, having top 5 cars at Las Vegas and Phoenix. I don't know what Matt McCall did to that car the last 100 miles at Las Vegas, but at Phoenix, to run 309 laps in the top 10, miss a shift on the second-to-last restart, and settle for an 18th-place finish was absolutely unacceptable in my opinion. They've shown the speed this weekend for sure, and I love the confidence that Brad Keselowski has. You know, when Clint Boyer said to him, he said, when are you guys going to win? And he said, this weekend. When I So I definitely look at those two RFK Fords. When I look at Chevrolet, I feel like the best chance for Chevrolet to go to victory lane today, I feel like it's track house. As I said, you know, Ross finished second in both these races last year. Daniel was fourth in this race, he was sixth in July, I feel like that is definitely the best chance that Chevrolet is going to have to go to victory lane today, because, you know, Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch with RCR, I just don't feel like this suits them all that good. And you look at some of the other Chevy teams, I look at Justin Haley and AJ Allmendinger a Colleague, we talked about Ricky Stenhouse Jr., we talked about Eric Jones, and the thing is like when you would go to Atlanta a number of years ago you sort of knew Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tony Stewart, you knew Jeff Gordon like you knew those were the guys that you would have to beat. And really like Justin Allgaier said after getting taken out of the Xfinity race yesterday, it, it's it's an absolute disgrace what NASCAR has done to Atlanta Motor Speedway. I mean, this used to be a real racetrack. This used to be a driver's racetrack. And really, now it's sort of turned into a race of survival, just like the way Daytona and Talladega is anymore. So ultimately, as I've talked about, you've got to put together an entire race. You've got to be there at the end. You've got to assert yourself as one of the cars to beat, if not the car to beat. It's all about communication. It's all about the pit stops. You know, you've Matt McCall making good adjustments. TJ Majors making great calls on top of the spotter stands. The pit crew. The pit crew has definitely been lights out so far this year, We're talking about the six of Brad Keslowski. If they could put this entire race together, if Brad makes smart moves on the track, if Matt makes good adjustments in the pits, if the pit crew is on their game, if TJ you know makes the calls that he usually can in pack racing I definitely feel like this could be the day that Brad Keselowski does get his first win as an owner driver at Atlanta Motor Speedway and it seems like orange has been a good color for him his two wins at Atlanta were with Auto Trader and he's got King Hawaiian on the car today so honestly this one is really really hard to pick and you sort of look at the 34 Michael McDowell that's sort of like another RFK car Todd Gillan was excellent at this track last year I'm tempted there's part of me that wants to pick Brad there's a part of me that doesn't want to pick Brad cuz it, it almost feels like a jinx it almost feels like like a kiss of death sometimes but you know what Like the old saying goes, if you don't have confidence, then why should anyone believe in you? And I I absolutely admire the confidence that Brad Keselowski had this weekend when he told Clint Boyer, we're going to win. And this is killing me, and I'm probably going to regret making this pick about four hours from now. But you know what? The speed that they've shown so far this year... I probably should have picked him for the Daytona 500. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the six of Brad Keselowski today. I feel like I am taking the six of Brad Keselowski to break through to get his first win as an owner driver at Atlanta Motor Speedway. It's a super speedway style kind of racing. He, he was even good at Atlanta before they reconfigured it. You have the best spotter there is for this racing in TJ Majors. Ironically, Matt McCall, his last win as a crew chief was at Atlanta Motor Speedway July of 2021 with Kurt Busch just weeks after Chip Ganassi announced that they were closing their doors at the end of the year. So I almost feel like this is sort of a full circle moment. Matt's last win as a crew chief this particular race last year where Brad and the six team were busted for that rear bumper panel. 100 points. Matt ended up getting suspended for the next four races. There we go. I'm going to take the number six of Brad Keslowski to get the first win of his career with Rash Fenway Keslowski racing his first win as a car owner today at Atlanta Motor Speedway. That will do it for episode 126 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Might do a show later on this week talking about really all the NFL news and notes. There was way, way too much to cover there. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. Enjoy the race today. Y'all take it easy.